Welcome to a Nutrition and Clinical Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Jeanette Hassey, the Editor-in-Chief of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The December 2021 issue is devoted to nutrition support articles related to neonate and pediatric patients. Aspen has just published a consensus recommendation entitled Aspen Lipid Injectable Emulsion Safety Recommendations Part 2, Neonate and Pediatric Considerations. And that paper is highlighted in our December issue. So joining me today are two of the authors of that paper, Petraea Kober and Jay Murtalo. Dr. Petraea Kober is the clinical pharmacy coordinator in the neonatal ICU at Akron Children's Hospital in Akron, Ohio, and professor at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Jay Murtalo is a clinical practice specialist for Aspen and also professor emeritus at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. So thank you, Petraea and Jay, for joining me today. My pleasure. Yeah. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to ask their guests if they have any disclosures on this topic that they'd like to share. So Jay, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm a consultant and a speaker for for Senius Cobby. And Patricia? So I'm a consultant for Baxter, B. Braun, Lexicomp, and and historically have been a consultant for for Senius Cobby as well. Thank you. So just to kind of set our background, Jay, I want to address this question with you. The background for this consensus paper, what gap or need existed that resulted in the creation of this document? I think there's two primary uh, reasons for the paper. And one of those is uh, a gap analysis that was done for lipid injectable emulsions in uh, 2017, published by Christensen et al. in both adults and pediatrics. And they really found that there's a wide variety of different practices, as well as gaps in practices for both adults and pediatrics that we probably should address. And then the the second thing, during that paper and immediately after that, there were more uh, lipid products become available in the United States. So we felt if we're really not doing well with practice, practice now, having more products available is only going to make it more confusing for the group. So we decided that we thought we should get out what we thought were safe practice recommendations for the appropriate use of the products. So Jay, you kind of alluded to this, and you were one of the authors on part one, where Aspen published a part one of this paper that addressed adults and lipid injectable emulsions. So how and why do these recommendations for neonates and pediatrics differ from that of the adult population? Basically, it's it's the uh, peds versus the adults, uh, and the differences being is that there's differences with regards to FDA approval for the uh, products for adults as well as pediatrics. And actually, when we did the review of the uh, adult. Uh, paper, there was some pediatric information in there that the reviewers were confused with, were confusing pediatric recommendations with adult recommendations. That was really probably the primary reason that we separated the papers out. And the other is with the adults, because of the nature of adults versus pediatrics, there was a lot more evidence, prospective randomized trials that was available that wasn't really available for the pediatrics. So we really wanted to separate those out and give us uh, more space in the pediatric data to actually discuss the evidence uh, since the, the evidence was driving practice uh, is was different for pediatrics than it was adults. Petraea, with your pediatrics background, do you have anything to add to that? 
No, a lot of that is very true. Without having FDA approval, you can have a lot of different dosing regimens that are utilized. And I think some of the biggest things have to deal with safety and just being able to understand what is a safe dose for a patient, what are the safety mechanisms surrounding administration and compatibility that are a bit different for the pediatric and particularly the neonatal patient than an adult patient when they are receiving parental nutrition. I'm going to address this question to you as well. So one of the complications of long-term use of lipid injectable emulsions is intestinal failure associated liver disease. So Patre, can you kind of summarize for our audience what causes the serious complication and what clinicians need to avoid or do to treat this complication? So there are many theories and ideas behind the causes of intestinal failure associated liver disease. And I mean, the number one thing we can do for our patients is feed them enterally. And so obviously that's not an option for all of our patients. So what can we do with parental nutrition in particular to help our patients? And in particular in regard to lipid injectable emulsions, the soybean oil-based components are associated with phytosterols. And phytosterols have been shown to be hepatotoxic. And so there are concerns about 100% soybean-based oil products and giving to those to our pediatric patients long-term and potentially leading to worsening intestinal failure-associated liver disease. Now, for some time, there have been a couple of strategies that can be utilized to help with this condition. One of them is the use of 100% fish oil-based products, which now do have FDA approval in the United States. It's been a long time coming and very exciting that we do have this product available to us. It is approved as providing essential fatty acids in a patient who has intestinal failure-associated liver disease, but does not prevent or treat the condition. It just provides the fats for them. And it's felt that the fish oil with its antioxidant properties is more hepatoprotective. Before this was readily available as an FDA approval, there were some groups that would do a minimization strategy where you would give a one gram per kilogram per day of the 100% soybean oil-based product, trying to minimize those phytosterols. It does cause some problems because you give less calories to the patient, but it is the similar dosing strategy as um, the 100% fish oil-based product, which is also one gram per kilogram per day. But I wanted to really stress in the paper that you cannot utilize the newer fat emulsions in the same way that we utilized the 100% soybean-based oil emulsions, given that if you do a dose minimization strategy for those products, you'll run into essential fatty acid issues, um, which could be really detrimental to your neonatal patients in particular, as well as your pediatric patients. So Jay, because errors in parenteral nutrition prescription can be especially harmful in the neonates, table four of your paper addresses kind of the order review process. So what are the key elements that clinicians should be aware of, especially to avoid those errors? Uh, thanks for bringing this up because we've uh, been uh, recommending for years that there's at least a review of the order after it's been written, but we've never really stated clearly what was involved with that. When we really look at the errors, a lot of errors related to omission that is just left out of the parental nutrition, but you know, some of the errors also involved with confusion with the uh, infusion rate and stuff. So I think the major components, even though all of them I think are, I would consider essential, the more important ones are providing a dosing weight for the uh, patient, uh, as well as 
their clinical condition, because that's going to alter perhaps the indication for what has been chosen for them. Uh, the other is the administration and the route. With the administration, uh, also includes the infusion rate, because uh, oftentimes infusion rate is confusing. And with the lipid emulsions, whether it's a lipid administered separate from parental nutrition or whether it's included as a TNA, so a couple of issues. One is that's probably where the more often the errors occur is the infusion rate of the lipid gets infused with the infusion rate of the parental nutrition, or the lipid gets infused in the central line and the parental nutrition gets infused in the peripheral line, uh, which causes significant problems. The review for compatibility and stability is, is needed to occur, whether it's in the TNA or whether it's separate from the TNA. And I think the other th uh, thing is just the uh, infusion rate, the volume that's being infused, uh, and whether uh, what other medications or fluids are going through that line. So I think it's probably much more of a critical issue for peds, especially neonates, than the adult population. So, Petraea, I know this is a different practice in the peds and neonates. So, can you really address the repackaging of lipid injectable emulsions in this population? And why are they infused separately, often from amino acids and dextrose? And what are some of those specific procedures that you have to have to prevent harm in those patients? Excellent questions. So I guess I'll start first with why they're infused separately, because then that plays into a lot of the repackaging and things. So oftentimes um, in the pediatric population, particularly the neonatal population, we have very limited access. And, you know, I sometimes make fun of my adult colleagues. I'm like, oh my gracious, you just have like all these lines coming out of your patient. I've got like one line that's coming out of a belly button. And, you know, you can't get everything into that line and have it be compatible at the same time. So very frequently, the fat emulsion is the most common thing that is incompatible. So if it is used separately from the two-in-one or the protein and the dextrose and the electrolytes, I can easily pause it and run incompatible medications or something that has to go also in that line if I separate it out. The problem here then is, is I obviously, I, I don't do a TNA and the a second issue with the TNAs is just calcium and phosphate precipitation and being able to see that precipitation because we push the envelope for a lot of those patients so they can get better bone growth in those littlest ones. But in essence, you then have to figure out how am I going to give the fat emulsion? And unfortunately, they're produced in bags or bottles, and those are pretty large sizes that they come in. And so there have been reported cases, as Jay mentioned, of error where the tubing gets, you know, confused between the two pumps and all of a sudden your fats are running at your parental nutrition rate and your parental nutrition is running at your fat emulsion rate and you can get actually fat overload syndrome when it dumps into the patient. And so for that reason, a lot of people move to repackaging of the fat emulsion so that they could be in smaller quantities. We don't have to give a lot of overfill in those syringes because our microbore tubing is only a couple of mLs as opposed to bag or bottle tubing, which is about 20 to 25 mLs that you would have to account for. So you run into issues of having to repackage. So the concerns with repackaging are is you're taking a product which is very isotonic and very prone to microbial growth, and you are repackaging it into smaller amounts. 
plants. And so you worry about microbial contamination in that process. And so that seems to be the biggest downside of repackaging. Additionally, those syringes cannot hang for as long of a hang time as a TNA wood or a three-in-one. So they have to only hang for 12 hours. So if you are infusing fat emulsions over 24 hours, you have to have two syringes that you would have to switch out. Um, and usually you'd prefer to switch out everything when you switched out your syringe. So tubing and everything that would be given at that uh, point in time. So it's the biggest issue is the microbial overgrowth or hard meat contamination that might be in there versus the safety issues that may occur. And different units are doing different things. A lot of people People have moved to bags. With the shortage right now, we're running into some different issues. And so people are having to go back to syringes in some cases. But uh, with a lot of the bags, you can now take and program the pump software to minimum infusion volumes, what are the maximum doses, and provide a lot of the safety there for the patient in that regard. Trey, this may be a loaded question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How does one decide which type of lipid injectable emulsion should be administered to your neonates and pediatric patients? And is there some kind of a decision tree or algorithm that you use to decide that? That is a loaded question. So obviously only two of the products are FDA approved. So the 100% fat Soybean oil-based fat emulsion is approved. There are two different products that are available under that, um, under labeling for that. And then there's the one 100% fish oil-based product that is labeled, but it is for a very specific indication. So obviously if you have a patient who does have intestinal failure, associated liver disease, and um, they need to receive parental nutrition, then you could go to that 100% fish oil-based product. But that product is not meant for prevention. It's not meant for treatment. So it's not something you would just start the whole pediatric group or neonatal group out on. It's something that you work your way to uh, based on problems that you have. So that leaves you with the 100% soybean-based oil product. And we've seen pluses and minuses with it. And with the use of newer agents in the adult population, the four oil based fat emulsions, um, the two oil based fat emulsions with the olive oil and uh, soybean oil. And then, like I said, the four oil one with uh, soybean, olive, MCT and fish in it. Basically, we started seeing and looking at our colleagues in Europe and seeing how they were using them and how can we use them to potentially help our patients. And we talked about that in the paper, you know, what was the information behind potentially helping them with bronchopulmonary dysplasia? What was potentially behind retinopathy of prematurity? Could we help with some of the liver dysfunction that they potentially could see? And could we give them some more of the antioxidants um, for those different patient populations and maybe benefit them? And the European guidelines actually do recommend a multi composite oil in pediatric patients uh, to be considered after a couple of days. So what could we do in the United States for this? So while I can't tell you like a set algorithm, you know, for this patient, you need all of these different steps. I do feel that even though there is not current FDA approval, there are studies of these unapproved products in pediatric patients. And so practitioners should feel comfortable in starting to initiate them in populations that may benefit from them. I'm going to add a question onto that, Petraea. So if you're using these that are not FDA approved for that patient population, are there any additional pieces of paperwork or approval that you need to be able to use those products? 
So not usually, Jeanette. Um, as a neonatal pharmacist, I'll be honest with you, about 90% of what I do every day is not FDA approved. So we do usually uh, look at it as a group um, and we assess what is best for the patient as a whole. Um, and I actually do use multiples of these products, depending on what the particular patient's needs are. I don't have like one set one that I have to use for every single patient. So we look at what's best overall globally, pick one for the majority of patients, and then use one-offs for some of the other products, depending on that specific patient's indication. Great. Thanks. Before we wrap up and close, are there any additional comments that you want to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I wanted to share, actually add to Petraea's comments with regards to the different products. And that was one of the reasons why with the dosing products, we gave a dose for use in various pediatric situations for all of the products. Uh, We also made sure that rather than just including in the paper, just FDA approved products. We wanted to make sure we included all of the products there uh, because of the potential that we have with product shortages, especially with lipid emulsions. We have to make sure that we've given all that available because it could be at some point in time, the only lipids that the individuals could get would be the non-FDA approved lipids, just depending upon what our supply chains are doing uh, right now. We made a conscious decision to make sure we included uh, all of the products and provide as much of the evidence that's available out there as there is. You know, we, we got to be honest and say, there's, you know, we'd like to have more evidence, but we've uh, pulled up the evidence that's available right now for us to make those recommendations. And I would second that. Unfortunately, we currently are experiencing a lipid injectable emulsion shortage in the United States. And the 100% soybean based product is the one that is, I mean, for my institution, we cannot get it currently at this moment. Now we've been utilizing the alternative fat emulsions for some time. So we already knew how to use them, but unfortunately that's now also causing shortages in those products as well. And so I think it's important for people to understand and pick up from experiences of others, how each of these could be utilized in a given situation when you may not have many options or choices and your patients still need to be fed. I can't let them go hungry. And as we talk about in the paper, Neonates in particular can become essential fatty acid deficiency within as little as two to three days. So this is not something that we can just go without or do once weekly dosing like you sometimes can do in the adult population. I want to thank you, Petraea and Jay, for joining us today. Your expertise lends a lot of information and food for thought for our listeners. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. So to wrap up, I just want to invite our listeners to delve into this consensus recommendation paper, as well as other papers featuring nutrition support for pediatric patients and the December 2021 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. Thanks for joining us today. 